You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Now it's time to talk with Rachel Kushner. She's the author of the amazing novel, The Flamethrowers. It was a bestseller and a finalist for the National Book Award. We talked with her about it here. Her debut novel, Telex from Cuba, was reviewed on the cover of the New York Times Book Review, and her fiction has appeared in The New Yorker, Harper's, and The Paris Review. Her new novel is The Mars Room. Rachel Kushner, welcome back. Thanks, John. There are 219,000 women in prison in the United States. The Mars Room is a story about one of them. It's 2003, and Romy Hall is serving two life terms plus six years at Stanville Women's Prison in California's Central Valley. It's the largest women's prison in the world. She killed the creep who was stalking her. She left behind a seven-year-old son. Her mother is taking care of him now. Uh, Rachel, people who know what prison is like on the inside say your account is utterly convincing. A friend wrote me that he had found a story in The New Yorker by someone named Kushner who has a perfect ear for prison and the life around it. How did you do this? How come you know so much about women's prisons and women prisoners? Did you do research? I, I think it's a combination of factors. Um, in this case, specifically, the structural conditions of prison are a world that I did commit myself to understanding, not so much as a novelist, but just a person and citizen of California and someone who was interested in the way that the society is layered and structured. And I wanted to know why some people end up kind of inducted into the criminal justice system, and others are not touched by it really in any way. And in fact, it sort of remains invisible to them. So I embarked on a project of getting to know people who were serving life sentences in a prison called Central California Women's Facility. Um, my prison, Stanville, in the book is a you know is a fictional place, but it shares certain characteristics with the CCWF, which is based in Churchill. And I went there regularly as a volunteer with a wonderful human rights organization called Justice Now, and started getting to know people. But I had also grown up with a couple of people who went to prison. It wasn't a completely foreign territory for me. And in addition, one last thing, I think that was a huge immersion for me, but of a very different kind than working with Justice Now. 
I went on a tour with criminology students, a bus tour up and down the state of California to, I believe, 12 men's facilities, one women's facility. But the men's facilities that we went to, we we were there under a kind of like unique guise, which was that the students were being greeted and introduced to the world of working for the Department of Corrections because many of them would go on to be hired by the state. And I was there undercover, and we were spoken to as insiders. In other words, we were spoken to by corrections officers as if they were with their own kind and could, you know, no pun intended, let their guard down <laughs> and share openly their feelings about their jobs and about their charges. And we were allowed to wander around on yards and go into people's cells and talk to them, and that's quite unusual. And so I was able to see for myself what prisons look like. I can't claim to know what it feels like to be incarcerated. I mean, and I just wouldn't do that. But I was immersed and exposed. I don't know much about prisoners convicted of violent crimes. I have the standard left liberal view. Most of them never had a chance. They never had a decent childhood. They never had parents who took care of them. We hear a lot about wrongful convictions of people in prison for serious crimes, people who are actually innocent. We hear about the cops lie, the DAs cover up for the cops. But your women are not innocent victims of police lies. And I thought a lot of the women in prison were there not because they did horrible things, but because they had boyfriends who did. They drove the getaway car for the bad boyfriend. They carried the drugs for the bad boyfriend. They hid the bad boyfriend's gun. But that's not really true of the of the women in your book, especially Romy. Romy is not innocent. No, she isn't. And um, you do hear a lot about wrongful convictions and um, cops and DAs lying. And However, I'm interested in the truth. And I'm also interested in standing up for people who have not been given much of a voice in our society. And the fact of the matter is, from my perspective, those people don't have a voice, A, and B. Most of the time, they have done the thing of which they were convicted. But that doesn't mean I can't have sympathy for those people, because mm -hmm. I don't think I'm in a position to judge other people that have not had my own experiences or the certain like societal advantages that I've been given because I'm middle class. In California... As the statistics go from multiple sources, 90% of people filling the state prisons have been convicted of what the state considers, in their language, serious violent felonies. So in order to advocate for the actual people who've been thrown away by our society, I believe that one, in this case me, needs to advocate for the so-called guilty and not for the very rare and actually quite small percentage of people who liberals could reinterpret as relatively innocent. We care so much about Romy and what's happening to her and what happens to her is really terrible. The most terrible part comes when Romy is told that her mother's been killed in a car accident and this means there's nobody to take care of her young son and he apparently will be taken away and adopted by unknown people. And the most infuriating thing in the book is the response of the prison staff to Romy seeking help in finding her young son and finding out what's happening to him. They tell her, 
your situation is due 100% to the choices you made and the actions you took. Well, how about the lifetime of bad things that happened to her that she did not choose? But even as I wrote that, I felt a certain sympathy for the woman who works as a correctional officer because I've been around those people a lot. And they themselves are working class people, usually from these rural communities in the Central Valley. The only education you need to be hired by the California Department of Corrections as a guard is a GED, you know, an equivalency exam. And you can get paid an almost middle class salary to work in that environment. But the cost of it for the person psychologically, I believe, is absolutely enormous. Those are really stressful jobs. They have a very high rate of depression and suicide. And I can see, or at least I believe I can see, a kind of brittle carapace that the guard takes on in order to justify what Mm -hmm. they have to assist in enforcing. And so they tell themselves that it's okay that these women have been separated from their children. Um, There's a scene in the book where the character Gordon Hauser asks a guard if it's hard to watch the women and children saying goodbye to each other for those who are lucky enough to get family visiting. And um, that was a question that I asked a guard in the women's facility. And she said, you grow a thick skin and they are in that situation because they deserve it, because this is these are choices they made. And I knew that she didn't really believe that underneath what she said. I mean, she's literally standing there on the sidewalk in Chowchilla while children are screaming and crying and Mm. hugging the legs of their mothers. I know it's brutal, but, um, you know, and thinking into this and writing about it, I'm not interested in isolating, you know, in locating and naming villains. I don't really believe that that's how the society works. If there were good and evil structuring things, we probably could have found solutions a long time ago. It's more complicated that. And all the people in the book are people to me with complexity and nuance. Well, of course, the challenge in writing this story is to have something other than misery and suffering and horrible crying children. Yeah. And thank God you succeeded at finding plenty of this. But please, please explain how you did it. Sure. I mean, I don't know exactly how I did that, but I do feel that I um, the thing I'm most proud of about the book is the comedy and the vitality in it, which don't feel like they take away from the horror. They don't dissipate any of the pressure of the world that I attempt to render. It's more like I felt all the way along, even before I started writing the book, I knew from my own experiences of knowing people that people are full of humor and vitality and the capacity to make light of a situation, to bring something darkly funny and poignant to it, and that if I wasn't doing that in my writing, that that it was going to be a failed project. Um, and people are funny in prison. I mean, they're, they have a kind of brilliance that's actually rather unique. And I, th- I have a new theory about it, which is that they are in such close quarters with one another, and they've been stripped of all of these manners of identity formation, like what Irving Goffman would call your identity kit. And what they have as currency is their personalities, which is to say their ability to seduce and charm and intimidate and threaten and to perform. 
So I wanted to evoke that. Tell us about Justice Now. Well, Justice Now is an incredible organization with a quite unique foundational history, I would say, from what I know about it. Um, There's a lawyer named Cynthia Chandler, who's based in Oakland, who was working with some uh, long-termers, lifers at Chochilla. And she got the idea to start an organization whose leaders would be primarily made up of women or people in the women's prisons serving long sentences. And she went to people in prison and she said, not bring me people who are interested in human rights and documenting human rights abuses, which is the the work of Justice Now. Instead, she said, bring me people in the prison who are shock callers, who have enormous social power in the prison. Mm. And those are the founding board members of Justice Now are these really cool, very tough, very respected people who've been in prison for a long time and are looked up to by their peers. And they were taught human rights law and they were taught how to teach it to other people and how to document abuses. And they do this incredible work. And the president of Justice Now right now is a person named Michael Concepcion, who is a lifer in Chowchilla and a good friend of mine. And he is a trans person who leads this organization from inside the prison, which is how can you not be on board with that? It gives people, I think, an incredible sense of purpose. And they've done some great work. They got legislation passed in California that makes it illegal to sterilize women without their consent, which is something that had been happening, believe it or not, in California prisons. So they do ongoing daily work, and they also have had some very monumental successes. One last thing. Rachel Kushner, are you related to Jared Kushner? I am not related to Jared Kushner, although I did ideate on what I thought would be the comedy of pretending that we are cousins and referring to that family as our trash Jersey kin. (laughs) And my husband calls him Cousin Jared and recently emailed me after Jared got his um, security clearance downgraded. Cousin Jared is in deep shit. The book is The Mars Room, a novel. The author is Rachel Kushner. Rachel, thanks for this book, and thanks so much for coming in today. Thanks for having me, John. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.